Welcome to the Richard Roper Podcast. Thanks, everybody, as always, for tuning in, for downloading, for sharing, for commenting, for subscribing, for telling your friends near, far, wherever you are for joining the Richard Roper Show. We do appreciate that. Hey, baseball season is underway. I know in a lot of parts of the country and even in the world, uh, it might not feel like baseball weather. I'm here in Chicago. And it's sunny, but uh, not exactly baseball weather. But nonetheless, baseball we have. We're going to talk about some of the best baseball movies of all time. Some of the best performances in baseball movies. And I've got, I've got some other categories. I'm calling these the Batty Awards. I, I, it doesn't stand for anything, but that's what I'm calling them. The Batty Awards. We're going to talk baseball movies. Also, some reviews of new streaming series, new feature films coming your way. All of that on the Richard Roper podcast. But of course, if I didn't tell you, the Richard Roper show is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly. And to compete in today's online business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, web development, e-commerce, mobile apps, and digital marketing to drive your overall business's success. Because they believe, say it with me, Today's online world is your online opportunity. Visit AmericanEagle.com to get started today. That's AmericanEagle.com. And thanks, as always, to everybody at AmericanEagle.com who helps out with the podcast. Before we get to the baseball stuff, I thought we'd uh, kind of switch things up on the podcast this time around. Usually we do our reviews at the end of the podcast, but let's start off by talking about some new movies and streaming shows, and then we'll get into all the baseball stuff. Does that sound like a plan? Thank you for saying so. Okay, some interesting things coming our way. There's an Apple TV Plus movie called Tetris that is being released. Now, Tetris, of course, is the the famous uh, game with the building blocks and all that stuff. Uh, and this is not a movie in which they try to replicate the Tetris experience. I don't know what that movie would be. And that's going to take us inside the world of Tetris like they sort of do with, with the Lego movies, for example. This is the origin story of Tetris, which is actually really fascinating. I didn't know that much about it. It's essentially a Cold War thriller. Taron Edgerton, who has proved he was just in Blackbird last year. He was fantastic. Of course, he played Elton John in Rocket Man. He's really a chameleon as an actor. This time around, he's playing the real-life guy who tried to secure the rights to Tetris uh, back in the 80s, the, the fascinating thing, one of the fascinating things to me is that the guy who invented Tetris, who came up with it, uh, was in the Soviet Union working for a company in software and actually you know, created it back in the day on a very you know, primitive uh, computer system, used parentheses to create the blocks. That's how he did it, because there weren't any graphics that he could have access to. And at the time in the Soviet Union, which is now Russia, but was then known as the Soviet Union, Video games of all kind, of any kind, were not even allowed in the country. You know, it was a very repressive regime. And um, this became like an underground sensation. Uh, people were copying it onto floppy disks and playing it, and it became this huge thing. Then there was this huge fight for getting the rights. The Soviet Union was on the brink of collapse. The KGB wanted to control this because they realized all of a sudden this game was going to be worth maybe not just millions, but tens and even hundreds of millions. So we go back and forth. There's a 
There's a subplot involving uh, Robert Maxwell, who was a real life uh, and very corrupt media baron, kind of uh, uh, Rupert Murdoch's main uh, rival for a long time in terms of ownership of newspapers and other media. And he and his son tried to secure the rights, different uh, other entities all trying to get involved. So it's really about the back and forth and everybody trying to to work the system in the middle of this, you know, cold, these Cold War tensions where simply going to the Soviet Union as a foreigner was a dangerous thing. So really well done. It's called Tetris on Apple TV Plus. I'm giving that three stars. On the downside of things, I, I have to mention this um, because it's it's newsworthy in a way. Uh, Bruce Willis's final role is in a movie called Assassin. And I'm, I'm recommending that you don't waste your time watching the movie. As I'm sure most of you know, uh, Bruce Willis has been diagnosed with a form of dementia. He, uh, there were a lot of reports in the last couple of years of him you know, having difficulties on movie sets, uh, not knowing his lines, seeming disoriented. And he was churning out, you know, one straight to video film after another, something like 21 movies over the last three or four years. Almost all of them forgettable. A lot of times he would just be on set or on location for two or three days, getting his lines fed to him through an earpiece. Assassin's the last of these movies. He's got a supporting role. It's a sci-fi thriller. It's It's competently made. It's not anything you need to really worry about checking out. You know, given especially what we know about Bruce Willis's condition, uh, he seems especially, uh, particularly, I would say, disengaged. He, he's reciting his lines. There's none of that trademark twinkle, certainly no ad-libbing going on. So don't watch Assassin. We wish Bruce Willis the best. Obviously, a great guy. I've met him just a few times. Not going to pretend I'm friends or anything, but but really an iconic screen presence, guys, for some 40 years. And that's what I think we really should be celebrating, going all the way back, of course, to the TV series Moonlighting, and then the star-making turn in Die Hard when he was paid at the time the unheard of sum of $5 million, which turned out to be a bargain, and through uh, you know Pulp Fiction, the M. Night Shyamalan movie, so many great performances uh, by Bruce Willis in a lot of different films. I mean, there's even things like 12 Monkeys and a film called In Country, which not a lot of people saw, but he was terrific in that. So... The last video I saw of Bruce Willis that was actually really heartwarming was just a home video on his birthday with his ex-wife, Demi Moore, and other members of his family singing happy birthday to him. So, you know, you just wish him as much peace of mind and happiness as humanly possible and in his private life, which is how it should be. So we're going to stay away from Assassin. We were just talking about Tetris, and this is kind of interesting because we've got Dungeons & Dragons coming out, uh, just released. And this is an attempt to create, to recreate the action. In this case, it's a board game, Dungeons and Dragons, uh, one of the most influential board games ever. I think it first came into fruition just about 50 years ago in the early 70s. And uh, it's, you know, it could be as simple or as complex as you need it to be. There's role playing and world building, and you have to keep making these plans. So coming up with a movie version and they've had some by the way they've had uh movie attempts uh not not real expensive stuff but they have done some dungeons and dragons movies and adaptations uh nothing too solid this one actually is really good and i'm not a dungeons and dragons guys i mean a guy i mean i know i know what it is and i know some of the basics of it but you know when you adapt something whether it's a board game or a video game like the last of us or books like uh, George R. R. Martin's Game of Thrones books, whatever the case may be, you have to reach a wider audience for the film to be a hit than even if, even the most popular of video games and and books, et cetera. And with Dungeons and Dragons, I'm sure the hardcore fans will get there's a lot of Easter eggs and 
and terms used that are going to be very familiar to them. But for the rest of us, it's just a fun, light, breezy and heartwarming and clever uh, medieval action romp with uh, Chris Pine leading the outstanding cast. Casting in this is, is really, really well done from the veteran actors to uh, Hugh Grant plays one of the villains. Uh, to some of the young newcomers who have done some pretty good stuff. I got a big kick out of it. And it's really funny. And I think they did it the right way. It's essentially family friendly. Yeah, there's, you know, battle sequences and, and dragons and dungeons even in there and, you know, crazy creatures. But it's nothing that's going to frighten anybody except for the real little ones. I think it, it's a different tone, obviously, and different subject material. But I think it achieved what the Shazam sequel tried to do and was unable to do. And a lot of it, it just comes down to the writing and the really clever, funny script here. And uh, a first-rate cast doing a great job of delivering the lines. I wouldn't be surprised to see if Dungeons and Dragons does pretty well at the box office. It's not a huge, huge budget film. I mean, it's it's not a cheap film. It doesn't look like it was cheaply made, so it could be very profitable. All right, guys, that's some of the stuff that's coming out uh, or has just recently come out. Why don't we take a break? I'll tell you a little bit about Portillo's, and then we'll get into. What I'm calling the Batty Awards, because why not? I mean, I you know, here's the thing. If I if I went to a trophy shop and had some baddies made up and sent them, people would put them on their mantles. We we just talked about trophies in the last podcast. So let's talk about Portillo's and then we're gonna talk baseball movies. All right, kids, let's talk about Portillo's. It's one of my favorite places to eat on the planet Earth. My delivery history will bear this out. I also happen to live within walking distance of one of the Chicago Portillo's. Yes, that's right. I'm that lucky. It is amazing. You could order from the restaurant or the drive-thru, but if it's not near you, you can go to Portillo's.com. Portillo's.com and order. They got French fries. They got all kinds of comfort food. The amazing hot dogs, the Italian beef, the Italian sausage, some really good salads, by the way, if you want to take it a little bit easy because you want to have a little bit room left for the chocolate cake, the best chocolate cake in the world. Think about it. Portillo's.com. P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S.com. That's how you spell it. Portillo's.com. Okie dokie. We are back. Thanks to me. For that semi-live read uh, about Portillo, still one of my favorite places, always has been, always will be. Baseball season is upon us. I did a, a piece a few years ago where I talked about a lot of these categories, so you can, you can always find my writings at suntimes.com, but I thought it'd be fun to talk about on the podcast. So what we're going to do is almost an Academy Awards type thing here. We're going to start off with some categories, but all in baseball movies. So we start off with Best Supporting Actress, okay? Because yes, in baseball movies... We've had some great supporting performances from women. In fact, one of them is in a, a, the best movie ever made. I think about uh, one of the best movies about baseball and certainly about women playing the game. Of course, A League of Their Own. So what am I? And I'm not actually going to pick a winner here, guys, because I think you know, these are all just wonderful performances and we're not really giving out any baddie awards. So my these are just like my top five best supporting actress performances. Uh, we're going to go alphabetical order. Amy Adams, Trouble with the Curve. I recently rewatched that. Um, that's the one where she plays the daughter of uh, the longtime baseball scout, Clint Eastwood, and he's losing his sight. So she be kind of becomes his eyes. And they've been estranged uh, 
you know, there's kind of a complex history between them. But it's really good. The best thing about it really is that dynamic. It's not a movie that particularly knowledgeable actually about baseball, but I love that. Uh, two performances from The Natural, Kim Basinger in the villainous row, and Glenn Close as our Lady of the Bleachers. Of course, she's the one she stands up and we get that glow. And Roy Hobbs thinks he sees his former childhood love. And it's Glenn Close. I mentioned Rosie O'Donnell. And also the late Kelly Preston in For Love of the Game, which is, I think, is an underrated baseball movie. She plays out uh, the single mother named uh, Jane Aubrey, who has become involved with uh, Costner's, Kevin Costner's Billy Chappell, who's a Detroit Tigers pitcher. And the whole movie's in, it's his final game. Billy's going for a perfect game against the Yankees. And then we see the influence that Jane has had on his life. Great work by Kelly Preston. Best supporting actor in baseball movies, Wilford Brimley in The Natural. Love Wilford Brimley in The Natural. Uh, Harrison Ford in 42. And I don't want to say this movie's been forgotten because it only came out a few years ago, but it's not one that gets mentioned all the time. And Chadwick Boseman, of course, was um, Jackie Robinson. Harrison Ford plays Branch Rickey, who was the uh, Brooklyn Dodgers executive who brought Jackie Robinson into the big leagues. Good growling, snarling, supporting work. Growling with a heart of gold, Harrison Ford in 42. Got to go with Tom Hanks in A League of Their Own. That is a supporting performance. He dominates every scene he's in, but it's really, again, it's the story, of course, of of the women on the team, but he's terrific. Also got to mention James Earl Jones in Field of Dreams and Philip Seymour Hoffman, the late Philip Seymour Hoffman in Moneyball, playing the uh, manager, Art Howe of the Athletics. And as much as I love that film, I got to say a, a lot of people who knew Art Howe and respected him said that that movie's not fair to him at all. But Philip Seymour Hoffman really does look and sound the part of a baseball manager in Moneyball. Uh, some of my best actress candidates... Uh, Nicole Bahari in 42 is wonderful. Drew Barrymore in Fever Pitch. Gina Davis in the aforementioned A League of Their Own. Because I think these are all lead performances, co-leads. Amy Madigan in Field of Dreams, of course, is wonderful. And Susan Sarandon in Bull Durham. Those are my five, five of my favorite actress performances in baseball movies. And we talk about best actor, and there are so many candidates here. But I, I did love Chadwick Boseman in 42. Got to go all the way back to Pride of the Yankees and Gary Cooper. Costner, you could pick a bunch of movies, of course. He's done so many baseball movies, but I think maybe the best acting, pure acting, is in Bull Durham, one of the most enduring characters and endearing characters. Brad Pitt was great in Moneyball and Robert Redford in The Natural. Uh, one of the things, and listen, it's also one of my favorite baseball movies. I've talked about that a lot through the years. Uh, but when you watch the film, and a lot of these actors do a really good job of looking like they played baseball. You go back to a league of their own, and Madonna famously hadn't, I don't think, had thrown a baseball in her life. And they they all had they had a camp for all of the uh, the actors in a league of their own. But Redford played at the high school level, maybe you know, tried out at the University of Colorado, was almost good enough to make the team. Not a major league talent, but you could tell when he swings the bat and when he's throwing that this is a guy that's been around a baseball. Same thing with Costner. Costner looks good. You know, taking batting practice when you see him in real life doing that or having catch with his father in uh, in Field of Dreams. All right, we get to the best picture. I want to mention the Bingo Long Traveling All-Stars and Motor Kings. It's a movie from the 70s. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, it's it's not really very historically accurate, but it's it got some essential truths to it. It's really funny. Amazing cast. Bull Durham's way up there for me. It's a movie, you know, it's a great love story, but it's also a movie that loves the game, the baseball sequences and just the discussions of baseball. This one's a little painful for a Chicago White Sox fan. Uh, eight men out. 
which is the chronicle of the Black Sox, the 1919 Chicago White Sox team that threw the World Series. Uh, but Eight Men Out, again, is a movie that knows baseball, has great casting in it, uh, and is really, really very well done. And in this case, historically accurate. It's pretty much what happened. Got to have Field of Dreams on the list. And The Natural. Natural, uh, I know it's corny. I know it's sappy. I know it's a fairy tale. And that's why I love it, because baseball is a fairy tale at its best. And like a lot of sports, but I think baseball in particular, really hits your emotions. I I think part of it is because so many you know, everybody can play every sport, but baseball, of course, has always been a sport where you don't have to be the size of Aaron Judge. It helps, but I mean, you don't have to be a mountain of a man or a woman to play. You can you can be regular sized or smaller and play at the highest level, and it, that's kind of an equal opportunity sport in that effect. A couple of other categories I wanted to throw out for you guys. Uh, the best baseball scene that doesn't take place on an actual baseball field Maybe my we just talked about the natural, but even as much as I love the, you know, the dramatic game winning home run, spoiler alert, at the end of the natural, there's a scene early on where young Roy Hobbs, and I love how they just kind of did the sun dappled, you know, gauzy look. So Robert Redford and Glenn Close could play 20 year olds at the beginning of the movie. Uh, hey, it's very talented, like we said, but I love the scene where he strikes out the whammer. The Whammer is basically a Babe Ruth-like character played by the great Joe Don Baker. And remember, the train stops, and they're at a field near a summer carnival, and he strikes out the Whammer. It's it's such a great scene. I love every moment of that scene. How about this one? The most ferocious use of a baseball bat in a non-baseball movie. What is the most? And there's been a, quite a few. I mean, we just talked about Joe Don Baker walking tall. You know, uh, it was the story of this this lawman who used a, a, a basically a baseball bat type of stick. But the most ferocious use of a baseball bat in a non-baseball movie. Robert De Niro as Al Capone as the ultimate contact hitter in The Untouchables. Let's take a listen. Sunny day, stands are full of fans. What does he have to say? I'm going out there for myself. <laughs> but I get nowhere unless the team wins. Team. Okay, a couple other categories for you. Best non-baseball scene in a ballpark, okay? Best non-baseball scene in a ballpark. It is in a movie called Only the Lonely. John Candy takes Ali Sheedy to a picnic on the field at Comiskey Park. The scene was actually filmed in 1999, 1991, uh, right after the White Sox had their last game at Old Comiskey Park before building the new ballpark. So... Again, as a White Sox fan here in Chicago, I love that as well. But that's just a, such a, a, a lovely, lovely scene. How about this one? Least believable portrayal of a baseball player in a non-baseball movie. The softball scene in About Last Night. Going back to Chicago here, guys. Rob Lowe and Jim Belushi are on a softball team, which is a huge thing in Chicago. But you could tell they they, they limited the amount of time we saw Rob Lowe actually playing baseball in About Last Night. Jim Belushi looked like he had been on a softball field before. Rob Lowe looked like he had never been on a softball field before. Best score. I'm talking about not scoring the tying or winning runs, but the best score. I, I, listen, it's Randy Newman, the natural. 
the one of the greatest movie scores of all time, let alone baseball movie scores. I love that. Randy Newman, The Natural. Best movie about being a baseball fan. Like being a fan. I actually love Fever Pitch. Check Fever Pitch out if you get a chance. Uh, it's really cute and sweet. And uh, it's based on the, on the novel about, I think he was a soccer fan, but they turned it into a baseball fan for the movie. Very cute and sweet and uh, loves baseball. The worst movie about being a baseball fan is The Fan, about a crazed fan, which has one of the most ludicrous. The book was kind of interesting, the novel, but the movie The Fan, you might want to watch it just for a hoot and a holler because you'll be hooting and hollering at the screen. Uh, one of the most ludicrous endings in the history of baseball movies. Talk a little bit about the best portrayal of sports writers in a baseball movie. I'm going to go with Studs Terkel and John Sales playing real-life uh, sports reporters, uh, Hugh Fullerton, I believe, and the great Ring Lardner in in John Sales' uh, Eight Men Out. So Sales played one of the reporters along with the great Studs Terkel. Uh, and then the most villainous sports writer is Robert, Robert Duvall in The Natural as Max Mercy. He's a hiss-worthy sports writer. Before we move on, I got to get the category of best announcer in there. Who's the best announcer in movie history, guys? Baseball movie history. Come on, you know, it's Harry Doyle, a.k.a. Bob Uecker in especially the original Major League, the best baseball announcer ever in the movies. Hello, Tribe fans. Welcome back to Major League Baseball. Sort of. Paid attendance today is 1,412. Some of them were driven away by a little 10-run first inning the Red Sox put up. Take over, Monty. I'm in the bag. Me? Fly ball. Caught. All right. You know what? Let's wrap it up. Uh, we could also mention, of course, you know, great one-liners like you're killing me smalls from the sandlot. I think that's one of my favorite one-liners. You're killing me, smalls. And let's close it out with the Lifetime Achievement Award to Mr. Kevin Costner for Bull Durham, for Field of Dreams, for Love of the Game. It's a trio of great baseball movies and a guy who loves not just baseball movies, but of course, sports movies, because he's tackled other sports as well, but in particular, baseball. Batter up. It's right around opening day. All the teams are taking the field. If you've got a particularly favorite team, good luck to you. I'm a White Sox fan, as I know some of you guys know. I have medium. I have medium hopes for this year's White Sox team. I'm sure we'll be talking about some of the rule changes in baseball and other things involving the great great game of baseball in podcasts to come thanks to everybody for listening as always i'm richard roper and we'll have some freshly cooked material for you very soon